It's been quite the journey to get back up in front of you, and uh, I'm thankful to be here, and I'm glad that all of you are here. <laughs> Thank you, Meredith. <laughs> I want us to begin this morning why, why, with why we're here. Why did you get up and come to church today? And I don't want to hear it was for me. <laughs> why do we say that we love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Amen. Why do we call ourselves Christians? Why did we ask Jesus to come into our hearts? What was your reasoning in doing that? What was your heart's motivation? I'm going to share a small portion of my testimony with you this morning. And while I do that, I want you to consider your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want us to search our hearts and minds, and I want you to figure out where Jesus is ranked, if you will, in your heart. Where is he in the lineup of all the things that's important to us? For myself, the story begins at the young age of six. I grew up in not one, but several legalistic churches, and I understood virtually nothing of the marvelous grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I asked Jesus to save me from hell when I was just six years old. I did not understand at that point in my life that Jesus wasn't just some get-out-of-hell-free card. I asked Jesus to save me not because of a love for him or a desire to serve him. I asked him to save me because I was so deathly afraid of hell. I was trying to save my own skin. Now you may be sitting there asking yourself this morning why that matters. Who cares how you get to Jesus as long as you get to him, right? Well, that's an interesting question, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to answering that shortly. Continuing my story, so now I'm saved, or so I'm told. My newfound salvation is not a license to sin. No, they beat that into you very well. But that's it. No direction, no discipleship, no fellowship with Jesus. My life spirals into sin as I grow older, and I'm so confused. I keep calling myself a Christian, and yet it seems like the power of God is completely unavailable to me. Am I somehow broken different than everyone else? Am I somehow the first person God is unable to save? These are questions that plagued my heart. Why do I appear to be so completely in love with the things of the world, and yet I still go to church on Sunday morning? Mostly, faithfully. I would tell pastors my story and express the doubts I had concerning my salvation. Now, I'm not picking on pastors because they're not here today. The pastors here do not give these answers. But I have probably heard every cop-out answer that pastors have to give You'll just know, they would tell me. All you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart, they would say. I cannot express the darkness I felt in my heart. I was convinced that I would not go to heaven. A life mostly lived in church would be rewarded with an eternity in hell. Now, some people have a salvation story that's like, wow. 
It's the type of story you always hear people saying, you have to hear so-and-so's testimony. It's amazing. And praise God for those incredible stories of transformation. Others know the exact time and date that they accepted Jesus. For myself, it just seemed to happen one day as I realized through the power of the Holy Spirit that I now had a relationship with Jesus. I now had fellowship with my Father in heaven. I was adopted into the family of God. And even much more recently, I have surrendered to his calling on my life. Friends, it is precisely at that moment when we begin to see that all we need is Jesus. We begin to lay down what we want for what he wants. Our desires become his desires. As he works in our hearts, we become motivated to love him and serve him. And we cry out, Abba, Father. As our wills come in line with that of the fathers, we are finally able to understand what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14, verse 13, when he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Our Heavenly Father knows what is best for us and will only give us those things that bring glory to his name. How can I know the will of the Father, you may be asking? By feeding daily on his word and being in constant fellowship with him. If you would, turn to your Bibles, to 1 John. We're going to look at the first four verses of chapter 1. Give you guys another second to get there. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, you are a good, good Father. Your love for us is steadfast and unchanging. Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Thank you that we can come to your house and worship you. Father, help us to be anxious in nothing, but in everything give thanks. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. Rejoin in us the joy of our salvation. Lord Jesus, help me to be faithful to your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For you note takers, I only have two points today, but they're long, so don't get too excited. My first point is going to be a gospel introduction. Right at the start, it is very easy to see John's style of writing. He mirrors the gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
Skipping verse 3 down to verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In our text this morning, the language used to describe Jesus is very similar. Verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. John is talking about the message of the gospel they had heard regarding Jesus Christ. John is starting here with a declaration of the gospel. In verse 1, Jesus and the gospel are related so closely that they are almost indistinguishable. Is it a declaration of Jesus Christ that John is making? Or is it a declaration of the gospel? Well, the answer is yes. John is clearly speaking about the gospel. But he is also clearly speaking about the one without whom there would be no gospel. This is a truly beautiful thing. Jesus Christ is the center of the gospel. In John Piper's book, God is the Gospel, he writes, Today, as in every generation, it is stunning to watch the shift away from God as the all-satisfying gift of God's love. It is stunning how seldom God himself is proclaimed as the greatest gift of the gospel. But the Bible teaches that the best and final gift of God's love is the enjoyment of God's beauty. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I, may, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The best and final gift of the gospel is that we gain Christ. This is the all-encompassing gift of God's love through the gospel, to see and savor the glory of Christ forever. In place of this, we have turned the love of God and the gospel of Christ into a divine endorsement of our delight in many lesser things, especially the delight of our being made much of. Now hear this. The acid test of biblical God-centeredness and faithfulness of the gospel is this. Do you feel more loved because God makes much of you? Or, at the cost of his own son, He enables you to make much of him. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. Let that settle in on your heart a little bit. I know I had to let it settle in on mine. I asked some friends where they were in this, and the answers were not favorable because we're broken. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? Does your soul resonate with Paul in saying that we would count everything as loss in order that we may gain Christ? Is he worth everything to you? Now, there are many blessings that we enjoy as believers. I have a short list of them here. We have fellowship with other believers. We get to enjoy knowing how and why things are the way they are. We often experience healthier living, blessings in our home, blessings in our businesses, the hope of heaven, the hope of seeing those who have gone on before us. 
I am not discounting the blessings of God. They are wonderful. Praise God for them. But what is our heart's motivation in these things? Do we see the gospel primarily as gaining Christ? So here John is speaking of both the gospel of Christ and the Christ of the gospel. He is talking about Jesus Christ, the man, the word of flesh. The text says, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John is giving his testimony to the things he has heard Jesus Christ say. We all know that John was one of the 12 disciples. The Bible says that John was the disciple that Jesus loved. So understand when I tell you this that he is not giving some secondhand story about Jesus Christ. John was an eyewitness to the physical and historical reality of Jesus' life here on earth. He heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. John followed Jesus through his earthly ministry and heard with his own ears the many teachings of Jesus and saw with his own eyes the many miracles that Jesus performed. The last two verses of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, he writes, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Are you kidding me? That verse blesses my soul. Can you imagine the things John must have witnessed? He is recounting his time with Jesus. He is bringing things to mind from actual memories that he has made with Jesus. It amazes me to think of what John must have witnessed. He went from being a fisherman to following the perfect Son of God here on earth. And that's a promotion. That's a promotion. He was an eyewitness to the things Jesus said and did. John witnessed the revelation of Jesus at the transfiguration where Jesus was glorified. He witnessed the gentleness of Jesus as Jesus put the soldier's ear back on that Peter cut off when they came to arrest Jesus. John saw his Lord beaten and bruised for our iniquities. He saw the crown of thorns cruelly pressed into the head of his Lord. He watched as Jesus shed his precious blood to save sinners. He saw the nails driven through Jesus' hands and feet as he was nailed to the cross. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, slain for us. He saw Jesus' side pierced and the water flow from his side. He saw his Lord die. But to the glory of God, it's not the end of the story. John saw Jesus three days later as he conquered death and rose from the grave. He saw the nail scars in Jesus' hands and feet and his side where Jesus had been pierced. Now unlike John, we have not seen Jesus in person. But we can know Jesus just as intimately as John does 
I say does because John's relationship with Jesus is very much present and alive today. John 20, 29 says, and now keep in mind, this is after Jesus has first appeared to the disciples in the upper room. Thomas was not with them, and he has not yet seen the Lord. Thomas says in verse 25, after the disciples tell him that they have seen the Lord, he says this, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Then in verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. So are you getting this? That's another blessing that we get that John didn't get. We get this blessedness simply because we believe in Jesus having never seen him. That is faith. Faith is a requirement of the gospel. It is the only requirement, in fact. For by grace we are saved through faith. Everything John is talking about is concerning the word of life. The word of life made manifest, which is publicly seen and known. John is saying that Jesus is very real, and he is speaking regarding his firsthand knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember my second point. Don't get too excited. This point is much longer, unfortunately. A gospel declaration. John says in verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Once again, we see John equating Jesus with eternal life. He is so sure that Jesus Christ is the eternal life that he is proclaiming it. Jesus is not being presented here as a philosophy, an alternate lifestyle, or even some truth. Jesus is being presented as the eternal life. He is proclaiming it. The King James Version uses the word declare here in place of proclaim. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something that must be declared. Not as a thing you may want to consider, but as something that demands a response from the hearer. Are we proclaiming or declaring the gospel is something we are confident of? Are we certain of it? Or is it optional? Do we hope Jesus is real? Or do we know Jesus is real? Do we hope Jesus is the eternal life? Or do we know Jesus is the eternal life? Do you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. My fear this morning is that we do not believe in Jesus the way we ought to believe. Most of us are more like, thank you Jesus for saving me, but it's not a big enough deal to me to share it with others. Or how many times have we been too busy to share the gospel? I don't need a show of hands, but... How about this? I have actually thought in the wickedness of my own heart that I would not share the gospel with someone because I didn't want them in heaven with me. 
How evil is that? Lord God, create in us a clean heart. Or we tend to water the gospel down to make it easier for someone to receive or less offensive. We love that word in America. Well, I have news for you this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to those who aren't in Jesus. Amen? No one wants to hear that they're dead in their trespasses and sins, and without the saving blood of Jesus, they're headed for an eternity in hell. We live in a this-is-my-truth-I-do-it-my-way society. Come on, Christian. Rise up. Proclaim the gospel. The entire truth of Jesus Christ and nothing less. We must lead sinners into the love joy and transformational power of the gospel. The reality of the gospel demands an answer. Watering down the gospel only makes it easy to reject and it must be accepted or rejected. Must I say, friends, your life depends on it. The world's life depends on it. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient? For these things. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. How many of you are peddlers this morning? Because we're not called to be peddlers, we're called to be proclaimers of the gospel. And don't think I'm just looking at you. And I happen to directly be looking at Clinton right now. <laughs> it is not just you. <laughs> it is also me. I, I had to stand in the mirror several times through this and come to terms with how pathetic I am as a Christian. I am talking about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with conviction, with passion, and with love. Yes, absolutely with love. We should never look down on someone that does not understand the Scriptures. The natural person or the unsaved person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's 1 Corinthians 2.14. How dare we treat them as less simply because they are lost? They are made in the image of God just as believers are. Amen? God loves them too. Once we are born again, we are a new creation in Jesus. And then we are able to understand the things of God because we have the mind of Christ. We are to share with confidence the gospel of Jesus Christ and testify as John has. Your testimony is most powerful in this. 
As we engage with the world in spreading the good news of Jesus, we must not use phrases like, personally, I believe. Or another way to look at this is, as phrases like this cripple what we are about to say before we get it said. Speak the gospel through the authority of God's word. Use your personal testimony like John is here. Arguing or debating a personal experience you've had with Jesus Christ is much more difficult for the listener. The way Jesus has changed my heart and life is not only what I share. It is what the world sees. People tell me all the time how much different I am. They remember, uh, especially it depends on how long you've known me, people know a much more cynical, hateful Don. I tell them it is Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Friends, at that point, you've swung the door to the gospel wide open. But it is not enough to just share the gospel We need to be living it out in our daily lives as believers. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, I try to get it in every time I preach, so you will not escape this passage. Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The truth is not relative. It is absolute. We must share the good news of the gospel. I also want to mention at this point that it's not our job to save sinners. Okay? We cannot save anyone, including ourselves. It is Jesus Christ that saves the lost. It is the work of our triune God. God the Father calls. God the Son, Jesus Christ, saves. And then God the Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us to live out the life we now have in Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those that enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus said many will reject him. Do not be disheartened when someone or several someones reject the truth of the gospel. Many will. In fact, Matthew 10, 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and says this, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. But here's the promise that we have. It's not all gloom and doom this morning. Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. 
And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Praise God. As Christians, we have the joy of spreading the gospel to a lost and dying world. And then Jesus is promising us fruit in that labor. There are people out there who will receive Jesus. Amen? But God has chosen us as believers. He has commissioned us to spread the gospel, and he will save whom he will. If someone rejects the gospel, tell someone else. The gospel will prevail. The bride of Christ will be completed. Amen? Be bold. Share the whole of the gospel. Proclaim it. It's right there. Making Jesus not ignorable in Lahana and to the ends of the earth. Making Jesus not ignorable does not mean everyone will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We simply want you to make a decision about Jesus. We want you to be faced with the reality of our position as sinners before a holy God. And what is the grand prize of the gospel? Eternal life. Jesus prays in John 17, 3, in the high priestly prayer. And this is eternal life. This is Jesus praying to the Father, okay? And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. It is in Christ alone that we can have eternal life. So here John is testifying to and he is proclaiming the eternal life. Everyone here will live forever. Everyone you have ever met, everyone you have ever come in contact with will live forever. Our souls are eternal. But I'm not just talking about quantity of time. Everyone's got that. I'm talking about quality of time. Yeah, Brian, he knew where I was going with that. Without Jesus, it is only hell that awaits. It is what we deserve as sinners. In hell, those who are not redeemed by the blood of Jesus will finally and completely be given over to the sinful desires of their hearts. Will you spend your life here on earth putting yourself first, yet coming away unsatisfied? Loving yourself first, yet being eternally lonely? Caring first for yourself, yet being eternally abandoned? In hell there will be darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will seek death, but death will not come. The Bible calls this the second death. Revelation 21.8 But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, 
sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Where are you spending eternity? John speaks of fellowship that is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I've mentioned this a couple times, but I'm going to say it again. The single greatest gift of the gospel is God Himself. As the bride of Christ, we have 10,000 blessings. But do we feel more loved because God makes much of us? Or through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are enabled to make much of our God. John says he is writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You'll never know true joy until you know Christ Jesus. I see a lot of nods, a lot of nods. That's good. How amazing it is that we get to commune with our God. I mean, come on. That's cool. The creator of all thanks. And he hears us. What a sweet privilege we have as children of God that we have direct access to the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, after Jesus tells His disciples that He is the true vine and tells them what it means to abide in Him, He says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Friends, we were created by God designed specifically by Him to glorify Him. If you came here today wondering what your purpose was, that's it. The reason Jesus died on the cross was so that we could experience perfect fellowship with God the way God had designed it before the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. Christian, how is your fellowship with the Father? Is it vibrant and full of joy? Does your day begin with rejoicing in your salvation? Is Jesus first in our hearts? <laughs> we don't only receive him as our Savior. We receive him as our Lord. He wants to have fellowship with us as his children. Do we desire that fellowship with him? Has sin crept in and severed that fellowship? Now, I want to be very clear here. Your fellowship is hindered by sin, not your salvation. The salvation of the born-again Christian is rooted in Jesus Christ and cannot be moved. I'll say that one more time for emphasis. The salvation of the born-again Christian is rooted in Jesus Christ and cannot be moved. 
I would urge everyone here, myself included, to ask the Lord to search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us. Ask him for a clean heart. Not just today. Every day. It should be a part of our daily prayer life. And if you don't have one of them, you need that too. Confess and repent of any sin that you have in your life. Sinner. Jesus loves you. He was the perfect sacrifice and has made the atonement for your sins. Jesus has paid the penalty in full. He is ready to receive you. Do not delay. Tomorrow is promised to no one. Do not leave here today without Jesus. If you do one thing, don't leave here without Jesus today. It will cost you everything. Make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your heart and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan of salvation. Thank you for loving us enough to send your only son to die in our place. When we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. We raise our voices to our God this morning. We praise your holy name. Matchless mercy. Amazing grace. Father, I ask if there is anyone here this morning that is not either saved or is not absolutely certain that their eternal security is placed in you, please give them the courage to ask someone how they can know you. Please, Lord, let no one leave here today without you. I ask you to forgive us the sin we have in our lives, Lord, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I ask all these things in Jesus' redeeming name. Amen.